0: Is it okay if I use this today? (laughs) I was thinking about getting a kid to ride it out, but I just felt like that might be a little bit hectic at times, so I decided against it. It actually runs a lot better than my current vehicle um, because it's in the shop because of a blown head gasket, a defective one, so I won't be relying on that for transportation uh, for at least a week or so. And... Speaking of things that we rely on, I think uh, the start of the new year has us reflect and think not only about what has gone on in the past year, but also what we hope and dream for and desire for this current year. The problem is, is that we serve a God who I believe is the God of bad ideas, I think he really, if you look at scripture several times, you can just see this is a bad idea. And it's funny for us to like think about it, or maybe we don't even realize it because we already know the whole story and we're not living in it. But if you're living in it and God's telling you this terrible idea, you start to go, Who am I following? Like, what's going on here? I think Gideon did this. Um, we see it in the passage that was read, but I want to go a little bit earlier, because it starts with, if you're not familiar with uh, the passage of Gideon, it starts with, "Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord." And so he gave them to the hands into the hands of the Bindianites for seven years. Israel cries out. And so God responds by sending an angel to Gideon. Basically, the angel says, I'm going to save all of Israel and I want you to do it. Gideon, now you don't see this in scripture. Nobody ever says, God, this is a bad idea. But he does say, pardon me, my Lord, How am I supposed to save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in, the, in my family. So in my book, I think Gideon's trying to do his best to talk to the creator of everything and say, I think this is a bad idea. And it's not just here that we see it. We also see it with Saul's conversion to Paul with the disciple Ananias. So Ananias, um, to to give you the uh, setting, Paul, who was at that point in time called Saul, was this Pharisee, which is a religious leader um, in that time, who was going around killing, stoning, imprisoning, and persecuting anybody that followed Christ. That's his backstory. Very smart man. Uh, but he was stoning the followers of Christ. He's, going, he's actually on his way to go do this to, in Damascus when suddenly he's blinded and knocked down by the Lord. And in the meantime shortly in the future, we see God goes to this disciple called Ananias. And I love it because uh, the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Ananias says, yes, Lord. And then the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. I actually really appreciate that the Lord gave him the exact address. (laughs) And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias and come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. I think this is one of those circumstances where if I was Ananias, I feel like God left out some critical information here. Thankfully for Ananias, he actually knows who this Saul person is. He, he, and he, so he says, "'Lord, I have heard many reports about this man.' And all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. I'm one of those people. He doesn't say that part. but And he has come with the authority of the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. I really appreciate the NIV here because the Lord responds with an exclamation point. Go! This is the man who I've chosen to be an instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people and to the people of Israel. Again, it just seems like people are like, are you sure you want this guy? I feel like we have better candidates. You see this with Moses, who God chooses to lead Israel out of slavery, and he can't speak very well. You see this with Peter, who Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on you, and he doesn't have a background in theology or religious studies at all. God, I I think if God's job was to hire people, he would only pick the people that are the worst candidates for those jobs. He's just not going to be very good at it, at least according to the track record that we see. Um, actually, you know, It's kind of like when you, if you hired someone who had no coaching experience to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> now, my friends gave me that example. I actually have no clue about any of that, <laughs> but I'm glad that some of you understood it. When God does these weird things, the simple explanation that we often hear comes from our New Testament passage in 1 Corinthians. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. And we see in the passage, it also says, the wisdom of God looks like foolishness, foolishness to the worlds. But if I'm being honest, this has caused me actually more frustration than anything else at the time with this being the explanation. Because it's important to recognize that God has bad ideas for us because it's there where we find conflict with God. It's funny to think of God being having all these bad ideas until we're the one that he is talking to. We don't use the word like bad ideas. Instead, we think, why isn't God doing anything? What are you doing? Why are you allowing this? When are you going to blank? We feel confused with God, hurt, frustrated, angry, even forsaken and attacked at times. We have our wants and our hopes and our dreams and desires that are really, really close to our hearts, but we feel dissonant because our life seems to be going on a track where it doesn't seem to be very important to God, who says that he loves us so much, and yet these things don't, to be, don't seem to be very important to him that are so close to our hearts. And so it begs the question, why does it feel like God's goals of where he wants us and ours seem to not align all the time? Again, the simple church answer is God's ways are not man's ways. But again, if I'm going to be honest, (laughs) that answer has never made me feel less worried about my future, never made me feel better about not having the things that my heart desires. It's never inspired me to trust God more. It's just kind of, well, he knows better, so trust him. And it's like, and it's not like my desires and our hopes, like security of family, enough money to live comfortably, a spouse, a significant other, more responsibilities and authority in our workplace, a job that we really enjoy, to live long and healthy, to do well in school. None of these seem to be, in conflict with God. And I don't think that that's the problem with these desires. I think the problem is is when we rely on the desires to be the thing that's going to give us the happiness and the contentedness and the purpose in our life. We put too much weight on them. And God doesn't jive with that. When he sees these things, he sees how One of two things, either A, they become our destination of where we're trying to go in life. And he knows that they just won't provide the life we're looking for. They're not going to be and lead to our ultimate happiness. And he knows this. There's a study I heard uh, several years ago where they surveyed people from all economic backgrounds, from the poor to the rich, um, and, and they just simply asked, how much money do you need to make in order to be happy, to feel secure and content? And what they found is that the average, if you averaged, if you averaged everybody's numbers that they gave, it was always 25% more than what they made whether they were in poverty or of the extra 1%. It was always 25% more. The Lord knows that thing that you desire so heavily is just not going to provide you it. It's going to be dust. The other thing that the Lord knows is that they get in the way of between us and him because we rely on them so heavily. And so as we get to experience all the dreams and hopes that we want in our pursuit of these things is that we are distracted from him in our relationship with him. You see this actually in our passage with Gideon. God, uh, the... Israel did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but later he is actually speaking directly to Israel and he says, you worshiped other gods and not me. This is why, even though I rescued you from Egypt and I've been your God, you then served others and not me. So God doesn't just have different goals for us in mind but he is also really intentional about how he gets us to those places in our life. He's really intentional about the vehicle in which he chooses for us to be formed and get there. When I was in college, one of the things that I did is, I, in order to put myself through, is I, I was a door-to-door salesperson. We went to San Francisco for that summer for 14 weeks, And uh, can I teach you guys all a sales technique? Is that okay? So, we sold educational books and software from high school and younger. So, naturally, our demographic that we were targeting was parents. And it was very common when you're going door to door, you knock, and there's only going to be one parent there during the day. Very common. And what they taught us was that if the parent couldn't make a decision to buy the product there, you can only go back if you didn't give them the price. That's the rule. If you gave them the price, if you gave your sales pitch and then the price, and they said, well, let me talk to my husband or or wife first come back tomorrow or come back later, don't. Because why? The spouse will not, didn't get to hear your sales pitch of why they should buy the product. All they hear is the price. And so it will definitely be a no. You'll never make that sale. That's what we were taught in sales school. They said it's a really bad idea to eat, no matter how confident you were in selling that one person, it's a really bad idea to go back to that house once you've told them the price. And they said it's a really, really bad idea if you do it and you're right. Because from then on out, that one time that you made that sale by going back, even though that you gave the price, you'll think every other time, that you can do that, when statistically, that's probably the only time you will ever have made that sale. So when you get what you want in the way that really won't give you what you want, you're gonna be wired to make that connection. If I do this, if I work really hard, I'll get this job. If I'm really smart, I'll make more money. If I study really hard, I'll make better grades. I I hope that actually is true. Uh, I actually hope that many of them are, are true. But what happens is that we're formed then about what we rely on and where we get our life and the joys from it. And so we start thinking ourselves and relying on ourselves and what we can do rather than what God has actually provided. Because in reality, you know, we could say we ran every day, but let me tell you, there's people that eat all the right food, runs, uh, runs every day, and yet, unfortunately, they still pass at a young age. Because, well, these, it, it, these things that we... Used to achieve goals are forming us in a way that really doesn't provide it in the end. It helps. It really will help. In our passage, we see that God actually knows this too. It says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands, or Israel will boast against me, my own strength has saved me. God knows how the Israelites are saved is also how they're going to be formed, and he knows it for all of us too. That's why you can see that he takes Gideon's armies from uh, 32,000, and he just says, anybody that's nervous or worried and scared, you can go home. Well, 22,000 goes home. I probably would have been one of those 22,000. I'm assuming most of us here would uh, as well. But then the Lord says, your army's still too large. You have 10,000. Okay, go down to this water, this river, I'm assuming. And when I look this up, actually, it's really funny if you imagine it, um, but I'm not going to have you imagine it. I'll do it for you. Um, (laughs) But it's really funny. He says, have them drink the water, and those that grab the water in their hands and lap it like dogs, put them on one side. But those who, who go down all the way and stick their face in it to drink it, put them in the other party. I would definitely be the one that's grabbing it and drinking it like this. You know why? Because I'm going to be looking for those microorganisms to see what I'm putting into my body. So I'm definitely one of those three. Am I the only one here that's like, really, the majority just stuck their face in the water? There's microorganisms in there. The story ends, of course, with God delivering Israel from the Midianites and just decimating the Midianite army, which the Bible says their camels and their people were countless. Their camels were uh, were so countless as is the sand on the seashore, and they just took three hundred men. God's goal for Israel wasn't actually to save the Midianites, and this is. A distinction that we don't often see. His goal wasn't to save them from the Midianites. If you go all the way back, his goal was entirely different. His goal was to connect with his people. That's why he gave them over to the Midians in the first place. That's why he didn't just want to save them with the army that they had. It was because he needed to do it in a way that the people would have to say, we did this only because of God. We relied on him and only him. It would have been hard to be one of those 300. It would have been hard to be one of those 10,000. So what do we do with this when, when our goals sometimes can't align with what God's goals are, even though they're not bad? And, and the way we get to our goals in life for this next year What is the vehicle that God's wanting us to do? Well, from the scripture, we see several different kind of responses. I'll give you three. One is that we recognize that we can't boast about where we are in life right now. What you have is not off of your own work. There's books that are actually written on this all the time about outliers, and really how it's really this thing that made a person successful and not, well, I just worked really hard. You may have cooperated with God, but you did not accomplish this primarily, let alone your own. It wasn't because you were so beautiful or handsome that you, that you got married, and it wasn't so, because you were so smart that you got great Grades, because who gets to determine how smart they are? I don't know. You can work to gain knowledge, but I don't know about just being natural. Some of us are. You see this in 1 Corinthians, it says it even better than our passage. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential, not many were of noble birth but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God cho- chose the lowly things of this world and, de- and despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And then in verse 31, it says, Therefore, as it is written, let us let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Scripture seems to call us to a realization that, man, the Lord is generous with what he's given us. Another response is similar to what Ananias did. You also see this with Simeon and Anna, who see a baby in the temple being dedicated, and they do not overlook the means in which God is about to bring his salvation, and they proclaim it. Ananias does it when he meets Saul, and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias it was revealed to him that this man who seems to be a terrible candidate to preach to the Gentiles and to, uh, to lead Christians, this man is the one that God's going to use. And so there's things in our life that right now we're just, we don't really see God working. Or it, if he is, it's, it's nice, but It's just not getting us where we're wanting to go. And so this, how we can respond is saying, no, this is God's means for my life to bring me the gospel, the good news. Last one, this one's actually, I think, the hardest because it's the most nuanced and blurry It is to realign our hopes and dreams and desires with God's. And again, this is not to say that God doesn't want all those things that you want for your life. But I just think they're just not as important to him as they probably are to you. Another way I can say it is this. If God was a coach, I really believe that he probably wouldn't win that many games. Because there's just more important things in what it means to be a coach than winning the game. If God was a teacher, I don't think all of his students' scores would be off the charts. Because I think there's just more important things to God than scores when it comes to being a teacher. When it comes to being a, if if God was a student, I think that He may not be uh, getting straight A's, because I think what it means, what God values when it comes to being a student, is greater than even great grades. I think that He would be the most gracious maybe at the most challenging at times, the most generous and loving and self-controlled and patient and kind, but not necessarily what the world may call the best. And that's the foolishness of God. But if we, brothers and sisters, do this, This way, rather than anxiously spinning our wheels, trying to achieve those dreams and hopes that we're trying, and it just doesn't feel like God is behind us. If if we start to realign our priorities with God and and see what he values, we will instead find and live in a life that's everlasting with cups that overflow and water and water that will forever satisfy the good news of Jesus Christ. So can you imagine the happiness and the joy and the peace that our community would enjoy if we were able to do this? Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Show us spaces in our lives where we have boasted in ourselves for the work that you brought about. We confess our pride. Make clear the ways in which you bring about your gospel in our lives that we have overlooked and undervalued. We confess our weakness. Assist us as we realign our desires and hopes with yours, we confess our lack of love for things that you love. But we thank you for your grace and your mercy in this and your Holy Spirit to empower us to continue doing your good work on this world. We ask this in Christ's name, the most powerful name ever invoked on this earth. Amen.